Now this morning, Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, as we continue on in our series on what is real church and what's going on here, and there's no better place to begin to learn about this thing called church. And we're talking about not the fancy building, and we thank God for the fancy building that we got, but it, the church is the born-again believers that are inside the building. That's church. And so we assemble, and we don't want to forsake the assembling together, but in light of, of what's going on in the world today, there are so many churches off track. And as I was telling uh, uh, another church Everything needs to be recalibrated from time to time. Your vehicle that you drive is going to need a tune-up, or it's going to need to be recalibrated, or the check engine light is on, or the oil is going to need to be changed and reset. If you run instruments, whether you're building and you're using gauges or electronics, they got to be recalibrated. Humans we got to be recalibrated from time to time and be reminded so that we're like, oh, that's right, I forgot about that. So we can remain true and to keep us from falling or drifting into apostasy. Now, in Acts chapter 5, my text will be verse 2, but we need to get context, so we're going to turn back to chapter 4 and look at verse 31. And as we've been preaching, I've been preaching, you've been listening, we've been talking about Peter preaching, and he healed this impotent man, and that immediately grieved the Sanhedrin. Remember that? Uh, they got mad because good was done, and they didn't want people or more people following this group and you'll find in the book of Acts, you'll see this phrase that keeps popping up, the way. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not want more and more people following the way, which is the way of Christ. And they begin, because their tares and their children of the devil begin to work against what God was doing. And you can rest assured that anytime God gets ready to do something or God is doing something, the devil will oppose it. The devil will get in. And that's exactly where we are in chapter 5. Everything's going good. Verse 31, he says, And when they had prayed, now notice how this element keeps coming up, praying and preaching. The place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Now watch this. So you got preaching, you got praying, you got fellowship, and, and you've got assembling. We, those are those elements that we said, the fundamentals in that early church. And then he says, verse 32, And the multitude of them that believed... Now, you've got to get this, because I'm going to illustrate this, and we're going to talk about this. We're of one heart. I pray that we're of one heart this morning. And of one soul. Now watch this. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. So they were giving 
And, and, and they just said, look, we're, God is calling us. We feel so led to be in full-time ministry. Early church. This thing needs to get, it needs to come out of the gate quick. And so there's people. We know it's about 8,000 people now. And so they're surrendering to full-time ministry. They're selling their properties. They're selling what they have. And now let's look and see what happens. Verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. So God was taking care of their needs. For as many as were possessors, of lands or houses sold them and brought the price is of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. Will you imagine that? You could trust the preacher in this day. And distribution was made unto every man. That wasn't a shot, by the way, across the bow. I'm just, I'm just pointing that out because some people... Don't worry about it. We won't preach on that. I'm not going to let the devil get me off track. Every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas. So Barnabas shows up. Now look what happens. Which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite. And of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we see everybody is working together in unity, striving together for the furtherance of the gospel. They're of one heart, one mind, one soul. They're on the same page as what the Bible says. They were full of the Holy Spirit of God. And they were doing what God had told them to do. And all of a sudden, chapter 5 starts, what's the first word there? But, caught you, didn't I? Wasn't paying attention. You drifted on me. But. Now, what does that mean? Well, that's why I started in verse 31 there in chapter 4. Everybody was on the same page. Everybody was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Everybody was praying. Everybody was assembled. Everybody was listening to the preaching and growing and being called in the full-time ministry. But a certain man. See, if you read too fast... You don't catch that stuff. But everybody in the 8,000 was doing this, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife, also being privy to it. And brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now here's where the text comes from. But. So now all of a sudden, kind of think about this like a tennis match. Bang, the serve. But. <laughs> the, the contrast. And now all of a sudden it comes back to the church in God's side. But Peter. So that's how my mind's working. Said Ananias, Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived? 
this thing in thine heart, thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost in great fear, came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in, and Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, yeah, for so much. And then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then she fell or fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we come, we thank you. Now, Lord, help us today. Lord, uh, uh, guide my lips and my mind. and Lord, help us to learn something here from the Word of God. There is a danger here. Ananias and Sapphira were saved people. What happened? Help us to learn that. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So as I said earlier, we see that the power of the Holy Spirit of God is giving boldness to the church because we were on that last week. And then this being brought on by prayer. And the Holy Spirit of God gets into that. And the multitude being of one heart, one mind, and one soul. And, and, and I'm, I'm reminded over there of that verse of Philippians 1.27. And I'll get it here just a second. It says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's what's going on here in this first church. But everybody was doing it good, but Ananias and Sapphira. So I would like to point out a couple of points here about this. I see the devilment in this situation Satan is here. Peter asks Ananias and says, Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie? You see, I believe they made a decision not to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Let me quote you a little bit of scripture. In Ephesians chapter 4, about verse 25, he says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now watch this, because I'm going to show you the context of this phrase I'm going to build on. And he says, Be angry, sin not, let not the sun go down on your wrath. And then he says, Neither give place, to the devil. So the title this morning is Don't Give Place to the Devil. 
The devil is here working in the middle. How was the devil able to fill Ananias' heart with this lying? And that's why I'm on you parents and grandparents. Lying should be a very great offense in your home, out of your children. Lying should not be overlooked. Lying, because the Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. That means someone's been closer to the devil than they have to God. Because the Bible, Jesus taught us that every lie is fathered by the devil. And we see that here. He tells Ananias, he asks him, he said, why is Satan filled thine heart? And he said, you've, you've conceived this thing. Lying is wrong. I believe that Ananias had given place to the devil in his heart. I believe that the devil... He only needs one little nail in your life, in your heart. It reminds me of an illustration that I had uh, used years ago, and I'm going to use it again because it's very fitting. And illustrations help us. They're like windows of light that help us see and get at the truth. There was this Haitian man or a man that was in Haiti, and this story was told by a missionary that went to Haiti, and he said there was... A, a man there that owned a house. And he wanted to sell the house, but this person, this other man, wanted to buy that house, and he didn't have the full asking price. And so he approached the homeowner and asked, begin to haggle over the price, and said, I don't have the full asking price. I really want to buy the house. He had looked at other houses, but this is the one he wanted. And so the homeowner thought for a minute and he says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll sell you the house for the price you've offered, but one condition. I want to retain ownership of one nail above the front door. And the guy that wanted to buy the house said, sure. I'm okay with one nail. It's not a problem. He says, will you agree to that? He said, I'll agree to that. We'll put that in writing. You retain ownership of the one nail. And the homeowner says, I can do whatever I want with that one nail. He said, yes, yes, absolutely. He said, okay. So they drew up the papers, made the agreement, paid the money. The homeowner moves out. He moves away. The new homeowner comes in and lives and everything's fine for a year and all of a sudden, the previous homeowner comes back. Goes up to the door, he knocks on the door and says, Hey, you know, I'm back in town, my business. And he says, I'd like to buy my old home back. Of course, the new homeowner says, Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, no, no, I love this house too much. No, I, I can't sell. And so the man said, Okay. And so they said their goodbyes. He shut the door. The previous homeowner goes out, goes out into the street, and he finds him a dead possum. And he comes back, and he hangs the dead possum on the nail. And of course, the new homeowner says, 
Hey, what are you doing? You can't do that. And he says, I can do that because I own that nail. And so the homeowner said, I thought you were going to take that nail. That was the nail you picked. I thought you were going to take it. It was hanging out just a little bit. I, th- I-, I thought you-, you, was- you was going to take it. He says, no, but I own it. And I own the spot that it's nailed in. And I'm putting this dead possum on that nail. So the new homeowner's upset. He goes back inside and that carcass begins to stink. And it fills the house with a smell so bad that he had to stop using the front door. And then it got so bad that the neighbors wouldn't even walk down the street on his side of the street. They crossed over as they were looking. It got so bad it was an embarrassment that he had to move out. Because it attracted bugs and attracted insects and it attracted all sorts of nastiness. Because nasty likes nasty. That's why your mama said that cleanliness is next unto godliness. Get in there, get your bath. Because nastiness attracts nastiness. And that's the devil's domain. And so when the new homeowner moved out because he couldn't stand to live there, couldn't use the door, the previous homeowner comes in, takes the dead carcass off, sets it aside, airs the house out, bleaches it down, and he has his house back. The moral of the story and the point is, this Bible says neither give place to the devil. The devil needs only one nail in your heart to work his work. He just needs a place, just a wee little place that looks insignificant down there where nobody else can see, when nobody else looks and nobody else knows about. The devil, he wants that place. And here's why. Because there's going to come a day, according to 2 Timothy chapter 2, about verse 24, 25, right in there, where the devil is going to want to come back and take some possession or to cause you some issue and to take you captive to keep you from using your front door. And he's going to hang some, a dead carcass on there. And it's going to begin to stink. And it's going to fill your house with unpleasant odors. You see, everybody else here was full of the Holy Ghost. They were praying. They were worshiping. They were praising. They were testifying. They were giving. And they were on in unity. And Ananias and Sapphira, they were there. But they made a choice not to be filled with the Holy Spirit because they had allowed Satan to have a nail in their life. I'm going to show you what I think this nail is. And I, 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 he doesn't say what it is, what motivated this man to begin thinking like this. But again, context is everything. 
And yes, I understand the rule that where the Bible is vague, you need to be vague. Where the Bible is clear, you need to be clear. But I believe the Bible to be pretty clear here on this. Because here's what I want you to know. Pretty much everybody knows, they say, well, the devil ain't going to get me if he tries to tempt me with something bad. The devil didn't get him here with something bad. And sometimes the devil, because he knows the Bible, he will twist scriptures ever so slightly to get you thinking you ought to do something that God doesn't want you to do. And we got to watch out because he's a deceiver. He's a liar. Say, so, well, what was the devil's nail? I believe it was the pride of life. The devil generally attacks us through one of three ways, avenues. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. The lust of the flesh is the things that you want to do. I want to do this, do that, do this, do that. The lust of the eyes is the things that I want. The burning desire, I want this, I want that. I want. Children struggle with that at a young age. You always got to buy them something when they go to the store because... They have the lust of the eye. Oh, I want that. And then they learn how to throw a fit in front of public <laughs> to get their way. Aren't they the con artists? They know how to negotiate, don't they? Well, we're not teaching on those principles, but the point is you understand that. But then you get to the pride of life. The pride of life is that desire to be. I want to be like this and Hollywood has a big following. People that, well, I want to be like so-and-so. and I want to have big muscles like so-and-so. I want to have a fancy car like this. and It's what you want to be. I believe the devil got Ananias with this thing called the pride of life. He wanted to be named with the people in that group. There was 8,000 of them. They had sold everything and given everything. And that came with some prestige. Not that he was trying to be, he didn't want a, a gold medal for it. You know, he didn't want a brownie, but he wanted to be named among that group that he was really put it all on the line for the Lord. You say, well, then what was his motive for lying? Look at chapter 6. <clears throat> Verse 1, and in those days... Because this happens right on the heel of this incident. When the number of the disciples was multiplied. So now it goes from 8,000 and it multiplies again. You say, so what do you do? I double it. It multiplied. Somebody else that's better at math, you tell me later, but it multiplies. So now you're dealing maybe with 16,000 people. It's going to multiply a few more times. That's how we get to 50,000. Uh, it didn't stay at 8,000. He said it multiplied. Well, you know it didn't multiply by one because it would remain about the same. It had to be over two. And so instead of being an estimator like I am and go to the high side, I went to the low side too. Just double it. Now watch this. He said there arose a murmuring 
of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Now, we'll be preaching, I think, there next week, unless church persecution comes first. I think I'm trying to hold off, but it just, I can't remember. But I'll be preaching on deacons in chapter 6 because the Bible covers it. I believe it was the pride of life, and I believe the motive for lying was to provide for his wife in case he died. Pretty good motive, ain't it? I'm telling you, the devil's just that slick. He'll get you to justify anything because he'll quote you that verse over there. If a man can't provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel. You say, preacher, I think you're making it up. Maybe I am. But I'm telling you, if we're just going to keep it in the text and we're not going to try to come up with some weird thing, but what are they dealing with? There was, the ladies lived longer than the men did. And there was a lot of widows. And because this was so early in the rest of the Bible, it hadn't been completed yet, they began to be neglected there will come a time in this church when it'll grow to the point i can't keep up with everybody and i'll have to have a deacon or two and assign them so many families in the church so nobody gets neglected we're about there now you ever try to keep up with 40 some people you know we got about 56 people on a good day we get everybody here now at some point I'm going to run out of RAM <laughs> to keep up with everybody. I can barely keep up with everybody's names. And don't ask me about birthdays. I don't even know my own children's birthdays. Jen keeps up with all that. <laughs> She's my external hard drive. She keeps all that in the memory. She writes it down somewhere. I'm still having the fight over whether I got a photographic memory or not. <laughs> and whether age is kept catching up with me or not. I believe that's what the devil used. He got to looking around. I believe this was an ongoing problem. He could see it because you talk when you go home. And he said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell them we're giving it all, but I'm going to keep back a nest egg for you, sweethearts, to take care of you because I don't want to be worse than an infidel. I want to take care. I don't want you neglected. I believe that to be the motive here because I know a little something about the devil. The devil's just that good. And slick to kind of take the word of God. But let me tell you something about this. God will never be a part of any lie. Oftentimes when I'm dealing with church issues, the first party I catch in the lie is generally the one that's been closer to the devil. And I start there. Why? Because God and the Holy Spirit of God is not going to be a part of the lie. And I don't care if you think the ends justify the means. God is not going to have you lie about something to do something for Him on the, uh, on the, on the side. So don't work that way. Jesus doesn't trick people into getting saved. There's people that think you ought to trick people to get saved. God does not trick. God does not lie. God doesn't confuse you in the fine print. But the devil will. So lies never light, right. And as I said, God will not be a part of no lie. Satan 
the father of lies. So I see the devilment in the situation. The devil is here and he's working because he had a nail. Because Ananias had agreed, and I believe the text bears that out, he refused to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He had the Holy Spirit of God, but he would not allow himself to be filled. He was not on the same page. And so he was looking over here, and I don't want her neglected. I don't want her to struggle like I'm beginning to see some of these ladies struggle. Why didn't he just bring it to the attention? Because somebody does. You don't lie about it and create a stink to bring it to the attention of the pastor, or in this case, the apostles. So I see the devilment in this situation And you need to be on guard. Do not let the devil have one nail in your heart. Because what he's going to do is he's going to come, he's going to put a dead carcass on it for you. And it's going to fill everything you do and it's going to have a stink on it. Until you are unusable. Let's illustrate it like this. We all have blenders. Anybody ever drink a protein shake? You ever made a protein shake? You ever not clean the blender out, let it sit? (laughs) Makes you wonder what's in them things. I didn't know something could stink that bad. When you let the devil defile you, You can't make nothing else in that blender until that thing's been washed. And as my mama said, bleached. (laughs) What happens? Well, we let the devil have just a little nail. But I see the discernment here of Peter. You ever stop to think about how in the world did he know? I've tried to, I've thought about that all week. How did he know? Because one of the things that your pastor prays for every day, and I want you to pray for me, is that God give me discernment. Discernment to see the good and the evil. (laughs) Peter didn't need to know the backstory on this dude. He looked right at him and said, Why is Satan filled thine own, thy, thy heart? To lie to the Holy Ghost. I believe that Peter could discern Satan on Ananias. And I began to think about this. I was thinking about this this morning. And what I got written in my notes is that Peter could discern the smell of Satan. Because he was saturated with the smell of God. He knew what Jesus smelled like. Uh, They were filled with the Holy Spirit of God and the prayer and the power of God and the Word of God. And it has a particular smell. And it's still bothering me. Even though Peter did know the smell of Jesus. He knew the smell of truth. He had been taught by Jesus the meat of the Word of God. And the Bible does say this in Hebrews 5, 14. Be strong, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use 
have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Notice there's no gray. It's good or it's evil. And sometimes you'll be in a situation on what is good and what is more good. Those are harder. And so you need discernment. How did Peter see this? I believe the Lord laid this on my heart this morning. But before I demonstrate, because I'm going to use another illustration, I'm, I'm poor when it comes to illustrations. But I, I believe this comes from the Lord, and I think I can better demonstrate it with sound than I can smell. But before I say that, let me say this. Today, we have trouble smelling Satan. His smell is normal to us. That's why we got to be careful, little eyes, what we see. Be careful, little ears, what we hear. You can't sit and listen to rap and hard rock music all day long about them killing people and, and killing cops and stuff like that and, 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 and not have the smell of Satan on you. you, you you'll, be, you'll be dull to what is right. You can't sit and fill your head with, with dirty pictures and expect to think right and, and to act right. And you'll have trouble discerning the smell of Satan because you're saturated with it. And his smell doesn't alarm us. You ever watch those nature shows, those lions? And they're stalking a prey. And one of the things those lions try to do is, and I didn't use the illustration in Sunday school, and maybe I should have because I had thought to, but I forgot with that photographic memory I got. <laughs> And I don't. It's a joke. It's a family joke. So you can laugh. It's, it's, I don't really think that. I had a pretty sharp one, but it wasn't photographic. Unless it's dealing with food and restaurants and where they're at. Now, that's different. That's different. That, that, that's what works for me. But his smell. And so as a lion comes in, he's stalking. A lion wants to isolate prey. That's why letting your children isolate themselves is not a good thing. It's the breeding grounds for the devil. Now, but have you ever noticed in those, like National Geographic, that lion's getting ready to pounce and the wind shifts, and all of a sudden, every animal in the herd, their nose goes up because they know that scent. It's foreign, and they bolt, and they're gone. You want to know why? <laughs> they know what he smells like. And they've not been around him so much. They're not so saturated with the smell of the, of the lion that, it, that they're alarmed by it. We're not alarmed by the smell of the devil because we're saturated with it. But I think I can better illustrate this with sound. And I've, I've, I've threatened to do this. And I'm using the word threat very lightly. I've talked about this. Maybe I've done it on a Sunday night or so. But I can demonstrate this. Because I'm going to demonstrate what unity and what being on the same page and working together means and how was Peter able to discern that Ananias had been filled by Satan. How did he know that? 
I believe I can better demonstrate that on the guitar because whenever I get my guitar out, now I, I got a tuning fork, and this is tuned to standard pitch, key of A. Okay, it's, it's, it's the tone. And so I got to bring this wood instrument up to a standard pitch because if I wanted to play an instrument with Brother Tim, because he plays a banjo, and Sister Peggy plays a bass, we need to have a standard that we're all going to tune up to. And so your pastor, during the week, has got to get in the Word of God because the Word of God's the standard. And so I take the D string on the 7th fret and I hit the harmonics and I hit my tuning fork. And I'm listening for it to ring in unison. If it's waving, as if, it's, if you can hear it go, then my string, not this, my string is flat. And so I got to stretch it to tune it up to where they ring together in unison that the sound waves, one's not up while the other one's down. Okay? If it's too sharp, it'll go, it'll drive you nuts. And so your pastor, through the week, I get before the Lord, get in the Word of God, and I tune up. And so there's the standard. I've met the standard. Now this instrument has six strings, and so I immediately go to the next one, the A string. Make sure they're not waving. If you struggle with that, then fret the next string. There we go. They're in tune. And then I go. All right. Then we go. Not bad. Not bad. Now I'm going to play a chord. instruments in tune now because this is a wood instrument sometimes I got to compensate if those of you that use electronic tuners if you tune every string up on your guitar to 440 to where the electronic tuner says green it's in when you go to hit that G string it's gonna be out of tune your B string is gonna to be too sharp and your top E string will be too sharp so every electronic tuner I've ever used I bring the B string towards the electronic piece of equipment almost to 440, almost to the green. It's real close. It's just a little flat. And I bring that top E, I flat it. Why? Because this instrument is not perfect. Again, humans aren't perfect. And so I got to do something called compensate to get it to sound pleasant to the ears. You say, okay, so how would you tell, and how could Peter tell, that Ananias was full of the devil? I'll show you. Ananias wasn't in tune. 
The Bible just told you that. Everybody else was in unity. Tune. Everybody else was full of the Holy Spirit. They were tuned to pitch. And all of a sudden, Ananias comes, comes in and says, Ready to play. I'm here. And Peter didn't hesitate. Now, I'd just say, Hey, your guitar ain't in tune. <laughs> Peter, because we were not dealing with instruments, is dealing with humans and tuning. He says, Why Satan filled your heart? To lie to the Holy Ghost. He was out of tune. He had a different tone. He had a different ring. Now, I might not be able to pull, tune this back up. Got it. All it takes is a little bit. So, the pastor's in tune. Then the leadership has got to tune up to the pastor. They need to be pushing his vision. And so the leadership team should make a nice chord for God. And then when you come in, you should want to tune up. And now we're going to get to another part. You understand that Satan has an alternate tuning. The more familiar you are with God's tuning, the more of an annoyance that the devil's alternate tuning will be. And you can notice it immediately. And I've told some of you, and I told you, I explained it, but I never demonstrated it, that when I preach, I'm sending out a tone from the Word of God. I'm sending out God's standard pitch. And I'm watching how it comes back. That's called uh, encoding. And now you're going to decode. It's called communication. You're communicating to me right now. I got your all's attention. Because you're trying to figure out where I'm going to go with this on discernment. And then you bring back. And the more time I've spent in the Word of God, and on my face in prayer with God and God's tuning, the quicker I can tell when you're out of tune. And I've told some of you that you're dull, you're flat. I can tell it. Because when I'm preaching, you're just like that one A string when I demonstrated. When you ring back to me, it's dull. It's out of tune. And it begins to wave. It's like a red flag. And some of you, it's dark. It's dark. There's no read back. That's how Peter was able to tell. Ananias was running with the devil's alternate tuning. He was flat. And he allowed the devil to fill his heart. And Peter noticed it immediately. Because when you're handling the Word of God, Peter, it wasn't Peter that was out of tune. He had been tuned to God's pitch. The whole church was operating with that tuning. And all of a sudden comes waltzing in. Oh, hey. And it was out of tune. I believe that's how Peter was able to discern that the devil had filled Ananias' heart to lie. You parents are pretty good 
dealing with your children, you kind of can spot when they lie. They got a tell sign. It's similar to that. You just got a nose for it. The truth, and you might even have said this, the truth has a certain smell to it. Or you might have said the truth has a certain ring to it. Yeah. I believe that the Apostle Peter, the pastor, one of the pastors here in this early church, they were so in tune with God and God's tuning that they seen this right away. And it was as annoying as when somebody gets up to try to play with you and they're not even in tune. And they don't think tuning's important. It is. I love when Brother Tim and Sister Peggy got up to play with me. We got to do that again. I, I enjoyed that. First thing they want to do is tune up. It's not about, well, my tuning's better. I got the right to, they, he, they already know, 440, man. Uh, yeah, we've, we've tuned up, but let's get in sync. And then we begin to tune our instruments to each other. Because, because of wood instruments, you've got to begin to compensate a little bit. You're still in pitch to the standard, but you've got to compensate just a little bit to make it sound right. And that's why I said some people, you might not fit in in a certain place in a church. They're at standard pitch. They're preaching the book. They're preaching the gospel. But it's just, there's not enough compensation for you and your tuning. And so you got to go because maybe you're a foot and you're in a hand church. And uh, maybe you're a mouth and you're in a foot church. And so you got to find the place in the body of Christ where you fit and where you can get tuned up and where the Holy Spirit of God can minister and speak to you through the pastor. But again, while you're holding the standard because you got the tuning fork too. See, it's not a secret tuning fork. Anywhere in the world you could go, if we was going to play with anybody, standard pitch tuning is going to be pretty much standard unless you get into blues or something. Then you might get into uh, something that's maybe a 430. And there's theories on that. I'm sticking with standard this morning to demonstrate discernment. But last of all, I see the death of a saint. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Sin destroys. Sin destroys relationships. Sin destroys families. Sin destroys marriages. Sin destroys lives. And sin affects others around you. This Bible says, No man liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. What you do affects others around you. And sin always pays wages. The wages of the sin is dead. He said, well, I've sinned a lot and I'm not dead. How do you know you're not going through a slow death? You ever see somebody eat up from the inside by cancer? I've seen people where a disease was eating their body and they were begging to be released and couldn't be released. Because of sin. I'm not talking about by chance. I've said by sin. I've seen people rise up against pastors and churches and God hit them with a slow death because the wages of sin is death and they die miserable deaths. Sin always pays death. 
It'll destroy your life. It'll destroy your relationships. You cannot get away with sin. And if you think you're hiding it, you might get away with that for a while. But not forever. Because your tuning's off. Your smell's off. Not everybody, they might not detect it, but anybody that's been with the Lord and been tuned up to the book will notice. Don't let Satan have a nail in your heart because God will deal with sin. This Bible is clear that he's going to chasten every son whom he loveth. I fully believe that Ananias and Sapphira were saved people. I do believe that they refused to be totally filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I believe their motive to be because he wanted to put away a nest egg for his wife. And you know what? He could have done so. All he had to do was to lay down. He says, we sold our property, but this is the part we wanted to put aside for you. I've kept a little part for my wife. Peter would have never said a word to him about that. But he lied. He said, we're giving it all. We sold our property and we're given everything. And they lied about what they were given. Just a simple lie. And I believe it was for a good reason, meaning that the ends don't justify the means. There's never a good reason to lie. And I'm sure somebody could get me a gotcha question. What if it's going to hurt somebody? Don't ask me that. You find the answer and let me know. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Don't lie. Somebody's going to say, well, what about Rahab the harlot? She lied about the men of God. Yeah, that's right. I got an answer for you on that one. The other alternative was to turn them over and they would have killed those two spies and God would have killed her. But there is a sacrifice that you can give for lying. God never commended her for that, never talked about it. She did lie to protect the men of God. You said, so you saying you could lie? No, I'm saying I wouldn't have lied. Oh, well, you don't, well... Don't ask such hard questions. I've been asked that question before. <laughs> People didn't like the answer. My point is lying's not right, and something as simple as lying. Just a little nail is all the devil needs. And he's going to hang a dead carcass on it, and it's going to saturate your life with stink. Now, you can get that right today. You, Satan didn't make him, I want you to know that. Satan didn't come in and said, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm taking over because I preached last week. Greater is he that is in you than he's in the world. Ananias invited him and says, you know what? I think, you know, you're thinking pretty good about this. And you know, if you think about something long enough, you can justify anything. And probably even have a verse of scripture on it. And the whole time it's the devil putting a carcass on that nail. And then... You're going to be out of tune. And you're going to begin to stink. And you're not going to sound right. Let's all stand this morning. Let's get that right today.